Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. It's no secret. I admire deeply people who found the courage to get to know themselves for who they are and who aspire to make a positive difference in ways that are aligned with their values. People, leaders who are not handcuffed by rules or norms that the majority of society seem bound to that often manifest as serious short-termism or work environments that seem win-lose. My guest today is about the win-win. He's the first pre-med zoology major I've hosted on the show. His first real job 26 years ago was as an entrepreneur co-founding Essential Ingredients. I'll let him elaborate on the business and why it exists. He had the option to sell his business to private equity, which many might consider the glamorous exit, but that didn't sit quite right with him. Instead, he chose a path to 100% employee-owned, a path where everyone has the privilege and responsibility to think and act like an owner in creating value together. It hasn't been without ups and downs, but Essential Ingredients has learned to excel in navigating change and to consistently deliver results. And their North Star is creating an evergreen enterprise to last 100 years and more. If you've been miffed, miffed by short-termism in business, keep the faith. There's a tribe for you. I am so honored to introduce my friend and one of the most elite leaders I know, Chris Maynard. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, Molly. Thank you so much. I uh, really I'm uh, glad to be here and thank you for doing what you do. It's uh, it's important work. Thank you. Well, my thanks is to you. And I really should have said welcome back to the show because you first joined me on my 14th episode way back when in February 2020. Lots has transpired since. And for transparency, uh, a little context for listeners. First, I am an independent director on your board, a proud one at that. And we shout out to Dave Wharton, who's the founder and CEO of the Tugboat Institute, which champions these evergreen businesses. We'll learn more about Dave's mission is supporting and cultivating community purpose-driven leaders like yourself who have the grit and the resourcefulness to grow enduring private, profitable, and market-leading businesses that, and I love this, that make a dent in the universe. So there's a lot to share about where your business is at now and you know what's ahead. Uh, but before going there, please help our listeners get to know who you are and uh, what your life journey has been like. I'll, I'll do my best to, uh, to fill in some of those gaps. So I, um, I grew up in rural Ohio, uh, you know, a, a, a child of two brothers. I was the middle child. So that tells, tells you a lot already. Um, again, rural Ohio, uh, very much sort of a low to middle-class family, uh, grew up in a, tiny little house on a, in, in a, in rural Ohio in a lake. Um, and we had, um, me and my brother all shared a bedroom. We had uh, three bedrooms, one for mom and dad, one for two of us, and then one extra, um, one bathroom for my poor mother with, uh, four men in the house. Um, and, uh, you know, spent my summers, uh, you know, helping on farms around the area, um, 
uh, you know, went to the local high school, was uh, not a great athlete. I found wrestling to be uh, the thing that I was uh, that I was good at and um, enjoyed the individualism of that sport and excelling just you and the opponent and but still having the team aspect, uh, you know, uh, which, you know, kind of built the team muscle a little bit and made me appreciate what great teams look like together. Um, went on to uh, Miami of Ohio, shout out there. Um, and uh, my dad had always wanted me, my dad had struggled so much with uh, uh, finances that he wanted me to do something that would pay well. And uh, he thought a doctor route would be the best thing. So I ended up on this pre-med program. And there's lots of, I've, since then I've noticed there's lots of pre-med uh, flunkies, you know, running around our industry, <laughs> you know, who were supposed to be doctors, but uh, for whatever reason, life didn't work out that way. Of course, I graduated from school with a tremendous amount of, uh, of uh, guaranteed student loan debt and um, had to pay a big chunk of my way through. And, uh, but while in college, you know, I met uh, this uh, young gal struck my, struck my eye um, and uh, we were actually uh, doing some missions work behind the Iron Curtain in Russia at the time. Uh, so that's kind of a, uh, an interesting thing considering what's in the news these days. But um, this is 1989 and behind the Iron Curtain. And, and uh, you know, she, she, I fell in love with her, I guess, before she fell in love with me. But uh, she became my wife, Cindy. And, you know, originally I felt like, uh, you know, I might be a full-time missionary. Um, there was just, I had something inside of me that really wanted to, to serve others. And, um, but they did the mountain of debt that I had when I, when I, funny story, when I went to ask her dad for her hand in marriage, he, he, first thing he said to me was, um, first he said, well, what does she think? And I said, well, I didn't ask her yet. I'm asking you. And, and, uh, he said, well, it's fine with me if it's fine with her, but he said, I need you to get a job. And so, <laughs> um, and then I, I, I honestly couldn't find a job. Um, of course, this was, you know, computers were pretty new on the scene back then. And we found ourselves, Cindy went with me back to the Career Planning Center at Miami, and we're, we're sifting through file cabinets, uh, you know, for, for companies that typically come on campus to recruit. And, you know, I was applying for jobs. Uh, I had kind of a special, uh, in, in zoology, there's lots of subspecialties. I was kind of a specialist in birds and fish and um I had applied for a job as a as a fisheries biologist on the Ohio River and actually got accepted at that job, but it was a nighttime gig uh, running up and down the Ohio River sampling fish uh, for seven bucks an hour, you know, and I, I didn't think that was going to be great for, you know, a couple of newlyweds, me being gone, you know, four or five nights a week, um, you know, not getting paid dirt. And then uh, I tried to apply for a couple of sales jobs uh, with, uh, one was a, was a, phones uh, for, for computer, for phone services for offices. And I think it paid $18,000 a year and I, I didn't get that job. And just really, really frustrated. Um, and then I found this company in Chicago uh, that was in the chemical manufacturing business, a company called Step and Chemical Company and sent my resume off. And uh, it was only, I think the second time I'd ever been on an airplane besides going to Russia. And they flew me up there and, and I did two days of interviews. And uh, the next day uh, after I returned, I was working part-time in a flower shop. I was doing, at the time, I was doing just about anything I could to earn a buck. I was delivering flowers. And they called the flower shop, which is the number I'd given them to, uh, to call me, and told me I'd gotten a job. And um, 
they wanted to, to bring me up there and, and, uh, you know, start me off, you know, at, at more money than I'd ever thought. I think it was $32,000 a year, which to me was unbelievable amount of money in 1991. And, um, you know, I moved up there and three weeks later moved back or came back and got married and Cindy moved up with me. And, uh, and that was my first real job to correct your, uh, your earlier uh, statement. Yes, and I worked yes, for that company yeah. for about five years before uh, founding Essential Ingredients. So, um, you know, all that while, I, it, you know, I'm, I found myself to be really, I was really very good at sales. Uh, part of that was, um, you know, I, I, I'm, good, I'm pretty good at reading people. And I'm, um, I was always told I was, I was very genuine with our customers. I, I, um, I really wanted what was best for them. I, I never, I, I was never uncomfortable. I was never comfortable trying to sell somebody something they didn't need. Um, you know, so it was really to me about solving real problems that the customer had and trying to come alongside them really as a human being and uh, trying to help them look good in front of their bosses and solve problems. And, um, you know, and I really enjoyed that part of it. Um, yeah, along that path in that journey, I, I met the fellow. Um, his name was also Chris, uh, Chris Gerlach, and he and I uh, shared on the very first breakfast appointment that we had that we both had this uh, seed inside of us to start our own business someday, and uh, we 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 became very very good friends. And uh, over a period of a couple of years, sort of hatched this plan for essential ingredients to be born, and. Uh, we both quit our jobs with uh, one-year-old baby girls at home and, and uh, started our business and um, you know, lots of, lots of bad <laughs> ideas along the way, but we found a way and scratched and clawed and, and made it work. So that's a, that's a little bit of background. Well, let me, before we go forward. Wow. I did not know all that. And so I'm in year for folks who are listening. Yes. Humility is one of Chris's all-time greatest traits. So um, just a bit about going back growing up and you said there wasn't a lot of money. Do you remember for want of things? How did you feel? Did you feel like it was normal? No, I, we, I, we never wanted for anything. I mean, you know, mom and dad always found a way. Um, my older brother, when we were younger, uh, had a very, very uh, bad, he was involved in a very bad hunting accident, um, which uh, really impacted his life tremendously is his his right knee was uh, blown off really in a, in a hunting accident and um you know and, and that really cost mom and dad a lot not just in terms of money but um emotional strain on the family and those sorts of things um i think he was 17 when that happened i was uh, 15 or 16 um you know and then we you know we we found a way through that um very tight family, you know, uh, I lost both my parents in the last couple of years, but, you know, they were married 56 years before mom died. And, um, you know, I look back on, on that and just, you know, having an intact family was great. Um, you know, not that we didn't fight like cats and dogs, me and my brothers occasionally, but, um, you know, we, we, we loved each other and, 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 you know, grandparents were nearby too. So there was a really kind of a nice family community around us. Um, and given where we grew up in very rural Ohio, uh, compared to lots of other folks around us, I mean, we, you know, we, although we were lower middle class, we, we were, you know, probably better off than most. So. Wow. And um, when you went, so meeting Cindy, I think this is so great. 
I, how do you end up, you're at Miami of, uh, of Ohio and now you're in Russia. I'm just curious, how does that kind of sort of just happen? Well, there was a, you know, as a campus ministry we were involved with and, um, you know, sort of part of my, my, my makeup, uh, you know, as a risk taker, right? I mean, I think most entrepreneurs are. Um, when I kind of looked at the menu of places where, you know, I might be able to go and serve, there wasn't much more uh, risk than, you know, going behind the Iron Curtain at the time. You know, we were, you're getting screened, you know, you were going through, you land in, in uh, then it was Leningrad, and uh, you're getting screened by a Russian uh, military officer, you know, why are you here, and what literature do you have with you, and, um, you know, so you're, you're going into the guise of being a, a, a student tourist, and um, so there's a lot of excitement in that, too, right, so, um, and so we ended up on that, on that trip together, and, uh, you know, one thing led to another, so um, that was actually the first trip, and then the second trip, uh, she went back also on a much smaller team. We stayed three months in the country that time, and uh, that's the time when we really fell in love and kind of found each other. So, wow, that's a very big step. I think by a young person going away to live for thirty months in Russia, that's a big deal. That's a big deal now. I mean, for sure, but it, you know, just that independence, and you know, it is interesting. You are a risk taker. <laughs> Yeah, and back then too, it was funny because you know, obviously, right now we take for granted uh, uh, our ability to communicate, you know, in a moment's notice, right? You know, um, of course, we didn't have any smartphones, uh, computers were weren't to be. Even back then, we had to if you were going to call home, which we only did two or three times over the three month period, you had to schedule the call in advance. Um, uh, there was certainly somebody listening on the phone uh, to hear what you were talking about, um, you know. So all those sorts of things were just an interesting add-ons to, you know, being in, in an interesting place like Russia, um, you know, before it became uh, uh, much more democratic, so to speak. Yeah, it's fascinating. Okay, so um, one-year-old baby girls and you and Chris, so so the, the wives were super, this was a normal thing to do. I mean, how was it a nerving, ner- nerving kind of thing? How, how did you folks just make, decide to just make the jump? You know, I think my wife, when I, um, so well, a little bit of a funny story too. So uh, Chris and I, every, every evening after our real jobs, um, you know, he and I were working from, you know, six till 10 or so, typically on the phone, kind of working on our business plan and uh, dreaming about the name of the company and these sorts of things. And uh, uh, one evening he had faxed to me. Um, sort of the latest version of the business plan that we were sending back and forth again via fax, right? That was the way you kind of communicated, um, you know, so he, he, he and I scheduled a call one evening and he calls me and, and I'm on the phone. He's like, so did you get the latest version? I'm like, no, I didn't get it. Where'd you send it to? And he, he said, I faxed it to you. And I said, well, what number did you fax it to? Well, and he, so he reads off the number. Well, he faxed it to the sales office for the company I was working for. So, I'm like, are you kidding me? I mean, the, the, <laughs> these are my death papers, right? So uh, the, the sales office happened to be co-located with, at a plant uh, nearby. So I called a buddy of mine in the plant out there and I, I, I said, listen, I need you to do me a favor. Go up to the sales office. There's going to be something on the fax machine. I need you to not look at it, pull it off, put it in an envelope, put it on my desk. Don't ask me any questions. So he did, he did exactly what I asked him to do. Um, so such a funny story. But my, my, my boss at the time, you know, ended up finding out, uh, 
just through some loose lip sync ships kind of routine uh, that I was going to be leaving and called me in his office and asked me directly if I was. And I said, yeah. And, um, I said, but we're not quite ready yet, you know, and I really, you know, I, you know, I'm, I can work another month or two, you know, before. And he said, no, you got two weeks. So um, he, uh, he had my replacement waiting for me and, uh, you know, off we went. So I was at that point, I was kind of kicked out of the nest. And uh, we had to make it happen. And, and uh, Cindy, I came home and told her, you know, what had happened. And um, I, I, I know she was a little scared, um, you know, but I think she uh, she knew that, um, you know, that the, the, certain things I'd learned early in life, particularly in wrestling, grit is just something that you just you, you, you just can't, you just got to get through it. And um, grit and perseverance. So just making it happen. And there's, it's, it's funny what you'll, you'll do when you've got, you know, a baby and a wife who are counting on you to get it done. And so we got it done. It's amazing. Okay. So talk to us about the business and what, how it started and uh, you know, you, and, and it's just, I know it's just can't for the whole thing, but fast forward because one of the secret sauces is just that amazing, amazing culture. And I know in the great resignation, which I know you folks have not experienced, um, that this culture you have is is really special. Yeah, so um, you know, Chris and I started with you know a couple pagers and a couple of used cars, and um, it really, it was at the time it was just about you know understanding what customers' needs were. He, Chris, came from the distribution background. I came from this chemical manufacturing background. So, but my job was managing our distributor network. So he and I both had a really unique view, I think, of how the business, uh, how we saw the business is working uh, and the brokenness and the, the broken parts of how it wasn't working. Trust was a huge issue between suppliers and between distributors. And uh, most distributors, you know, uh, for example, would have two or three uh, suppliers supplying the exact same chemistries. And that frustrated the bejeebas out of me when I was a sales guy for a supplier because, you know, I felt like I was making friends with these people. We we're building a trusting relationship. But at the corporate level, you know, they were always holding me hostage with some other competitor in the wings that they could use as leverage to get a better price for me and the, and the company I was working for. And that was very, very frustrating for me. Uh, so one of our founding principles as we started our business was we're going to have one supplier, you know, for each of these chemistries. And we're going to develop these really trusting relationships, be very transparent with them. Um, because it felt like that would just it would just work better, right? If I came to them with an issue and there was trust, they would they would they wouldn't think I was trying to just you know create spin on a topic so I could um, you know feather our nest a little bit better. But it was a real issue, and we were trying to solve as an extension of their sales force. So that was a, that was very um, uh, you know at the time that was just sort of earth shattering for a lot of our the suppliers we were being introduced to who had lived in this environment of of non-trusting leveraged relationships all the time. So it was a very refreshing uh, message and, and, you know, sticking with that theme and then, you know, learning early how to hire great people, how to, how to take time, um, you know, to sort of do the sorting, a lot of heavy sorting on the early parts of, instead of just hiring a, a warm body, um, you know, taking the time to get those things right. Uh, uh, in the midst of doing so many other things wrong, I think we th those things served us very, very well in our early years. So, you know, we began to just surround ourselves with more and more uh, talented folks. And I became a big fan of hiring people smarter than me, right? So um, 
uh, as we were growing the business and we were both trying to wear many, many hats, uh, you know, be in the field for a little while, both we were coming back in the office occasionally. One of us was assigned to uh, sort of be the forklift driver in the morning and one was a forklift driver in the afternoon. So we, we, we would shift out, come and had to, you know, get the receiving shipments in. So then we brought on a board and they looked at it and they said, what are you guys doing with your time? And we described it to them and they're like, okay, that's going to stop. I mean, because we can't have you guys, you know, operating forklifts. So um, we were just too cheap and couldn't see, uh, couldn't see the future. So uh, we, we gave that up. And then at one point I was actually running sort of the office and all the things in it. And, and I literally was having panic attacks. Um, I was a pretty healthy guy. Uh, but I ended up at the doctor one day uh, with heart palpitations, um, thinking I was having a heart attack in my, in my uh, early thirties. And uh, of course my heart was fine. He put me on the treadmill, gave me a stress test. And, and uh, he said, tell me about what's going on work. And I described it to him. He said, you're having panic attacks, dude. And uh, I, I just, I couldn't believe I was having panic attacks. Um, but I was, and then we hired, you know, um, a fellow named Justin Jordan to come in and be, our, uh, our general manager. And uh, that freed me up, you know, to go again, start doing the things that, you know, were much more in my skill set and much more productive for the company's sake. And that was mostly customer facing, supplier facing interactions uh, versus trying to manage the details of the office, which um, I learned much later as I was, you know, in my readings and things, just a bit, you know, uh, everybody's not good at everything, right? And, and just really trying to understand who you are, uh, your superpowers and putting people in lanes where they can really exercise those superpowers, uh, you know, gave me not only the, the freedom to do that, but as we started, kept hiring people, that experience really allowed me to, to, to spend much more time trying to understand as we bring people in, you know, what's your superpower, you know, what gives you joy at work and, and can we align a job um, with your, with your superpower and that served us very well too. I love it. I love it. If uh, not to over-dramatize, but just one like major mistake that you would say you made, because we know that our big career lessons, you know, come from our struggles. So I'm, I'm curious what one you'd pick. Um, you know, I, 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 man, there's a lot of those. Um, <laughs> I think when I was, you know, when I was, there's a, there's a kind of an interesting story when I was, um, I talked a little bit about this loyalty thing with suppliers and there was an interaction that I had as a, as a young sales salesman for um, this first company I worked for step and and I had been, uh, we noticed one of our, our, the products we were selling to this distributor was, was not doing well. So, you know, my boss called me in his office and he said, Hey, Chris, I need you to go check on this product. Um, you know, these, these guys usually have, have bought this much at this point in the year and they're down about 10, 10%. Can you go see what's going on? So I go and I do my, routine, ask all the questions. And everybody says, no, no, Chris, it's all fine. We just, you know, we're just business is a little soft. And as I come back and do my report for my boss and a couple months later, the same conversation, the same mission for me, same response. I come back third time. My boss says, all right, I'm going in there with you. And uh, so and I Barry, you know, his name's Barry. And I said, Barry, I said, I've, I've, asked, I've asked all the questions. If you want to come with me, it's fine. But, you know, kind of wasting your time. And um, well, this meeting happens to be, since Barry's coming now, it's an elevated meeting. We got the president of the organization in the conference room with us. He's sitting directly opposite me and Barry's just to my left on my side of the table. I'd never been in this room before because, you know, lowly 24-year-old sales people you know, get to go in this room. Um, so I'm, I'm asking this guy and I said, you know, can you just tell Barry, which, you know, 
what's going on with this product? And he said, well, he said, the fact of the matter is, Chris, we've been buying product from all your competitors because your price is competitive. And, um, and I could, I honestly, I could feel my flay, my face flushing red. You've been in those moments before where I'm, I'm, I'm a, I consider my pretty, myself a pretty slow to anger kind of person. I don't typically fly off the handle, but um, I was so, so angry and I felt so betrayed. I actually, I literally, Molly stood up at the table and I slammed my hand on the table and I, I pointed my finger at his face and I said, you lied to me. And uh, he looked at me with a kind of a smirk on his face and he said, no, Chris, you just didn't ask the right questions. <clears throat> and my boss, I could feel his, his hand squeezing my, my left knee under <laughs> the table. And he, was, he squeezed my knee and he kind of pushed me down in the chair. And that was his signal for me to just kind of settle down. And he's, he's going to take over from here. And, uh, you know, those two got into it. And I don't remember much more of that conversation, but I remember distinctly getting back in the car and thinking, man, that was, that was, I, I felt so hurt, you know, because here I felt like I was working so hard for these folks and building these relationships and, and trying to build this trust. And, uh, you know, it worked as long as it served them too. But, you know, when it didn't serve them, and literally it was like a penny a pound difference in these prices, right? It wasn't like there was some huge chasm. But, um, uh, you know, that taught me such a lesson, I think, just in terms of, again, as we, as one of our themes I mentioned to you was was sort of this this loyalty we were going to have to suppliers. Uh, that that shaping moment uh, really was 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 a big part of that. Um, but it really just uh, you know gave me a, a a dose of reality in terms of what the world really can look like and a dose of what it should be. Um, you know, you know, giving really deep trusting relationships. So um, uh, that's. That, I think the lesson that I learned in all that was, um, you know, be careful, um, but don't let that slow you down in terms of doing what you think is right and, and uh, you know, building around those types of things. Yeah, that's amazing. So talk about the, you know, just that there's a, there's a lot here, folks. So, but this evergreen and just help folks appreciate your own journey to it and then you know what it is i just, i love the idea that our listeners could realize that this actually is an opportunity that people can work for companies who are um who are committed to really long-term sustained success yeah so our, our you know so at the time we pulled the trigger on the east south that was um uh, kind of late summer of 2011 uh, we had three partners at the time uh, you know chris and i and then we had brought in the third minority partner and so as we began thinking about this, now we're in our mid forties, you know, as guys, and we're, we're trying to figure out what, how do we, how do we get out of this someday? And uh, as you had mentioned, you know, we'd been approached by competitors, private equity, all these uh, sort of various uh, suitors, but I had watched uh, a number of my small competitor friends even, uh, you know, sell to these entities. And I had seen what I considered, you know, very promising and, and productive cultures just sort of get flushed down the toilet, uh, you know, at the altar of the almighty dollar, so to speak. And, and, and here were these, I really, really loved our people. And the idea of, of selling to somebody or something that would not value them the way that we did, that would, where they would find themselves probably looking for different jobs with companies that didn't care nearly as much for them as we did. Uh, that was just something that we couldn't accept. So but we didn't have, we couldn't leave it to our kids too, you know, because as a success, you know, you got three partners, 
you know, trying to figure out how to do that with family and kids, that's just a mess. So, um, so I had studied this ESOP component for a while. We pulled that trigger and, and sort of shelved it, you know, just said, did the ESOP and thought, well, we'll just keep doing what we're doing. And, and um, the company continued to grow. Uh, I think at the time we pulled the trigger on the ESOP, we were around 50 million. And then, um, you know, we're kind of bumping up around 75 million and, and started to feel a little bit of strain in, in the, in the, interactions we were having we didn't we, we didn't have a ceo at the time we had this office of the president um you know worked through a lot of that uh, and it, eventually i became you know named as as the ceo because i was the one who was local and was was sort of around the most um, but that set me on this journey to try to figure out okay what are we going to do with this thing eventually and 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 uh, we've we've kind of gotten the the, the chips off the table, so to speak, from an ownership perspective, but, um, you know, how are we going to make this thing last beyond us? Or is that what we want? I mean, we'd already decided that selling wasn't, wasn't a great idea. So it sent me on this journey of, of uh, you know, I was, I was reading as much as I've ever read in my life, I think. Um, sort of one book led to another. Um, Small Giants was one that I was, I was attracted to early on and I met a community of people there and it was through that community at Small Giants that I was introduced to this, this tugboat institute or uh, as you refer to evergreen uh, companies and um, you know when I, when I read uh, their website and I read about what they call their seven P's uh, which uh, you know for the sake of the people who may not know what those are uh, it's you know being privately held it's being purpose driven it's having a, a perseverance built in, uh, people first, uh, having a pace growth approach and pragmatic innovation. And, and uh, of course, always delivering a profit. So those were their seven Ps. And I read those and I'm like, man, that's, that's it. You know, this, I need to meet these people. So um, uh, I got introduced to Dave and, and uh, we ended up I ended up, you know, becoming a member of Tugboat. And I just remember my first meeting going there and I, I just felt like I had found, the, you know, this tribe of folks that I had been looking for for so long. Um, you know, I had visited like Vistage groups and these sorts of things. And, and, and I felt, I just felt like the odd duck, um, you know, where it wasn't to me about, you know, building the company as fast as we could and, you know, sort of taking the money and run kind of approach, uh, build fast and sell it was more to me about, um, you know, certainly building, building rightly, um, you know, but really more for the sake of, you know, the, the people and for the sake of the people who would come after us. So, um, so when I read those seven P's and got to spend more time with these folks, uh, it, it really just, it, it uh, hit me very, very deeply that, you know, this was, this was something worth investing in. And I felt like I had a, a community of folks I could do it with. So um, if you feel like you're swimming, against the current all the time and that, you know, you're the odd duck in the room. I was there too. And, and uh, there is a place for you um, uh, at Tugboat. So. Yeah, it's just the best. The, so talk about the company, brag a little, the mission and the, what's it like there? I mean, share with people because it's a really special place, special group of people. Yeah. So we, um, we, we came up with a purpose. Uh, this was kind of, it's kind of in the midst of my, my, my Tugboat search. We came up with a purpose as a group um, that our purpose as a company is to be a blessing to others, inspire them to be a blessing as well. 
if you ask most uh, leaders of most businesses, I think, you know, what is your purpose? Most would say something along the lines of, you know, to maximize shareholder value or to generate maximum profits or, you know, you know something about dollars. And again, profit's a big part of who we are and we understand we've got to have profit. But um, I think Simon Sinek said it well when he talks about sort of profits or cash being for the fuel for the car to get you where you're going, right? It's a necessary part of the journey, but it's not the journey itself. So, uh, so we embrace that very, very much around here. It's, it's, it's the idea that, um, you know, and, and I, profits come as a result of us doing the things we do well. And in our case, it's as a distributor, it's taking care of our suppliers, it's taking care of our customers, and it's really taking care of one another in the communities that we're involved in. So, um, so it's a very much an others-centered environment here. We, 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 we care deeply for each other. Uh, most folks here, if you ask them, uh, you know, what's it like to work here, they would they would list words, uh, you know, like family, um, fun. That's one of our core values. Um, teamwork, uh, you know. So it's really sort of doing this together. Um, you know, recognizing that everybody's got a bad day occasionally. We got you know, with approaching I think ninety people on our in headcount now. So. Um, you know, there's usually somebody in our care who's who's having a, some kind of a crisis, uh, you know, either at work or at home. And um, the way people surround them and care for them is just so really beautiful. Um, it's one of the it's one of my most it warms my heart the most, I think. <clears throat> so it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a fun place to work. Um, it's not perfect. You know, we've we are still growing. We're still learning. And um, I don't think we won't certainly ever be perfect here, but um you know, we're, we're trying hard to really care for, uh, for our folks and, 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 and being very intentional about thinking about how can we, how can we do that on a bigger stage uh, by creating additional businesses just besides essential ingredients, for example. And, um, uh, you know, it allows us to care for more people in terms of employment, it allows us to spread the ownership culture. And, uh, you know, ultimately, when I think about our purpose of being a blessing, it's, it's, it's blessing those folks, their families, the people they get to interact with. And, you know, when Gallup tells us that 75% of the workforce goes to work every day and they, they hate their job, um, you know, they don't have a best friend at work, they don't respect their manager. Um, I think businesses and business leaders, you know, have such a great opportunity uh, to, to, to right that wrong. And, um, the idea of just coming to work uh, for the money every day is, is so short-sighted. I think um, I had lunch with a, with a fellow I'd never met today, another business leader, and we were talking about this topic and, and just encouraging him, you know, you've got a unique platform. You, you, you just can't squander it. Um, so uh, I, hopefully if you talk to somebody here, that's what they would tell you too. Well, I have, and they do. And so listeners are thinking, yes, we want it. So, you know, Chris, what do you think is the biggest impediment to people pulling off what you're pulling off? Um, you know, I think it's, uh, you know, we're talking about a, you mean, it's like members of Tugboat, for example, there's like 220 of us, I think. So, I mean, it is a very, very, very thin slice of the pie out there um, of people who are at least in that tribe. I think there's many, many more who haven't found it yet, uh, right? So we're, we're trying to, to, to kind of find those folks. 
you know, but it's very countercultural. What we're with what, what, what the, the message I'm the story I'm telling, um, you know, when when the entire world seems to be saying, you know, you got to do it for you. You got to maximize profitability at the expense of the people. People are parts. They're exchangeable. It's just business. Um, you know, those things are just um, it's just not true. Um, and I think if you could if you could find people who are saying those things and actually back them into a corner, give them truth serum, you know, and, and say, okay, what do you really think? Right. Um, I think they would tell you they don't want that either. You know, it doesn't feel right. Um, they lose sleep over it. And, um, but you've got this sort of tidal wave of, of, of culture telling you that's the way things should be. And um, it just takes, I think a lot of, um, it takes a lot of courage and I think it takes, it's, it's easier to have courage in numbers, you know, so if you can find folks who are doing that with you together, um, it's, it's, uh, it makes it all the more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you on that. As a leader, when you think about um, Chris as the leader, what's the most challenging part of leading for you? Um. I think for me, it's, um, it's probably, uh, I'm, I'm, it's hard for me to say, I, sometimes I feel like I care too much, um, you know, for the people and, and, uh, you know, I learned a good line from a coach a few years ago. He said, Chris, you know, what does the business need? Right. And, um, so this idea that you can, without letting people down um, or without, you know, you've helped me a lot with this too, with the say it skillfully. It's, 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 you know, being able to have tough conversation in the context of being still being very, very caring, um, you know, for the individual themselves, but still keeping in mind, what does the business need uh, for what the business needs? And if, if those things don't line up, um, it's not a, it's, it's, there's a mismatch and it's, it's, I can't fix all those things. So I think, I think accepting as a leader that I can't fix everything um, has been hard for me. Um, I'm a, I'm a can do fix it gritty kind of guy. And um, it frustrates me when I can't fix those sorts of things. Um, uh, So for me, I I think, I think that's probably the harder thing. Yeah, I could see that. I could see that. I appreciate your bringing up the say it skillfully. Let's segue to that part of the show a tough conversation or two that uh, we can unpack together? Sure. Um, I had uh, had a couple in mind that, um, you know, one a few years ago when I um, had a senior leader here and, and uh, this is why I just kind of taken over that CEO slot and I was, I was really trying to get some things moved that I, I knew needed to be moved. And this fellow had been with us a long time and, um, he was leading up our sales department and there were some things that needed to get shifted in our sales department, particularly around uh, compensation and things in order for us to kind of make the next move and scale the business to it being coming a national distributor. And I, we just, we just didn't see eye to eye on it. And I couldn't get, I couldn't get him to, to make, you know, make the changes. And um, I ended up bringing in another, you know, sort of shifted him over to another job, bring, brought in another uh, leader, uh, from outside to kind of help me get those things done. And, you know, that created a huge uh, conflict between me and manager number one. And, 
I could have handled that very differently, uh, you know, in retrospect. Um, and knowing that, I, you know, I went back several times and, you know, was asked for, you know, I apologize and asked for forgiveness. And, um, but I, it just, it just, I never really felt like I got that, um, you know, and it, it, that was a very, very hard time for me and a tough conversation. Um, again, that I, I feel like as I look back on, on kind of the things I might have I've done a little bit differently, and I had a lot, to, I learned a lot in that process. Yeah, I appreciate your sharing that. And I can, I know how much you care. And, uh, and I, I want folks to know you can do, we make mistakes, which is totally normal. And we go back and we apologize and you do your best in earnest. And obviously, Chris, you are very heartfelt and we can't control how other people respond. And this is a time where you can think about showing compassion because someone can't, if you will get out of their own way to, honor that, Hey, you know, Chris made a mistake, wish you could have done it differently. And, um, that's something that we just want to let go because it doesn't serve you to feel bad about it. Um, and it's something where, you know, just compassion for someone not being whole with themselves to be able to accept it and the ability to, to move on. Um, and it is what it is. And that's what I'd say about that one. Yeah. That's good advice. I'd say, uh, you know, scenario number two. So we've got a, uh, an almost 20 year employee employee who told me last week, you know, that he was, he was moving on actually to start his own little business on the side, which, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, part of me is super excited about, right. Because I mean, we try to teach entrepreneurship around here. We use a great game of business and um, we've had a few folks who have learned uh, sort of the business part of the business here and, and they, um, they want to go try it on their own. And just, so this fellow, so when I heard this news, this 20-year employee, of course, we're 26 years. This guy's been with me a long time. Um, my first reaction is, are you kidding me? Um, you know, <laughs> you, can't, you can't leave. <laughs> um, so I'm taking for my, my sort of my, my, uh, my, my uh, theme when I have a tough conversation with people is I get them outside and we walk around the building. We, you know, so we're doing our fifth lap, I think, with me and this fellow. And he's telling me about sort of why he's going and things. And, and there's, he's, he's, he's launching a business, but he's also telling me on the, on the other hand too, I'm like, cause I'm asking, I'm probing a little bit, you know, is there anything else? And he said, well, yeah, I mean, I, there's a few things and the company's changed and we've grown a lot. And um, he says, I'm really not, I'm not the only one who feels this way. And there's other people who just don't have the courage to come talk to you about it. And, you know, and I can't, I left that conversation. Um, and I told him, I said, you know, would you please go back and tell those people to please come and talk to me if they've got something that we can do better um, you know, I really, really, I can't emphasize how, how sincere I, I am. I want to hear. And, um, so, you know, but I left that conversation and, um, you know, it, it haunts me that, you know, there's this idea that we've got a, a thin slice of our pie. I mean, it's probably two or three people right out of uh, 90, you know, that have some little piece of angst inside, um, which is certainly not unusual. Um, but, the idea that I'm not approachable or that I, I can't be, uh, they can't, they feel like they can't talk to me is, uh, you know, it bothers me. So uh, uh, those are tough conversations I want to have, but I, <laughs> yeah. Me, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love the positive intention and I know there are many leaders out there, you know, all the ones I know actually do want to hear the truth. I, I really, you know, that's, that is true. So I think the only thing I'd say on that is, and I think it's, it's helpful to not make yourself wrong or bad. You hear it as information and you're so grateful someone shares that. So I just kind of um, 
extract, extract this a little bit. Someone comes to you and say, says something that's tough. Oh, I can't, I'm so grateful you told me. And so celebrating that you found out this not great news, create safety. And, you know, obviously this person um, has the confidence to do that. Uh, just know that sometimes folks can say that as an excuse for themselves to not be willing to share. And so it, it's just important to just appreciate that. I don't want to make them bad or wrong, but it's often I hear, well, they don't want to hear it. I'm like, oh, really? Your boss doesn't want to hear the truth. They really do. They get up and really try to make your life miserable every day. Well, not really. So, you know, I think it, it's, um, there's the two realities you want to try to come in the middle and create a shared one. Um, but I do think that the ability for leaders to just always say, hey, tell you, I'm going to make a round, we'll do a lunch and learn. I want you to tell me something I didn't, I don't want to hear. I'm inviting you lunch, paying for lunch. And so I think creating just the proactiveness <laughs> and I know it's okay, but you know, it's okay. it could, what would make it A plus? I want to be A plus. I want to be A plus plus. So I think that's the, the reinforcement because I think leaders are like, look, at, I told you, you, I've demonstrated it. You know, I want to know, therefore you should come to me. And by very virtue of the fact that you're at the top, you're the leader. It's just, it's not the easiest thing for people to do. <laughs> so, well, I love that. I love the idea of, of, of the assignment of saying, all right, your job is to tell me something I don't want to hear. Um, Cause I, I think most folks are programmed to tell people like in my position, what we want to hear, right? Good news. And exactly. Exactly. I love exactly. that assignment. That's a great yeah. advice. Yeah. And then, and helping folks realize, you know, if you don't tell me, I don't really know. And do you know what? That's actually not my fault because you're not telling me, you know, so it's kind of, we're all part of the problem, all part of the solution. Um, Okay. So as we wrap it up here, that's fabulous. Um, A few thoughts for you, um, questions for you. What, Chris, do you want most for your grandkids? Um, Golly, I've got my first grandkid now, right? So little Wesley, who's um, 10 months old now, but um, you know, I, I, um, of course, I think we all want, you know, a, a, a peaceful world where they can live in, right? Um, you know, when it comes to uh, sort of how he thinks about me in the future, as I think about my grandparents and things, um, you know, my 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 uh, mom's dad was uh, really just one of my um, heroes growing up. I mean, he was just a, he was a simple man. He, he was, he, he uh, just a man of integrity. I remember one time we, we, we took his car to the car wash to get it washed. And it was the, the, the car wash machine was working. We didn't have to put money in the thing, right? It was just like 25 cents or whatever it was. So my grandfather washes this car and then we'd end up driving around and I'm like, grandpa, where are we going? And he says, well, we're going to find the guy who owns the car wash so we can pay him the money. You know, and it always stuck with me, you know, the, the fact that he was he was, and most people just drive away, right? It was a free car wash today. Hey, my lucky day. Um, not grandpa. So, uh, you know, I'd love for my grandkids to, you know, think about me as a, of a man of integrity, uh, character, um, generous uh, with with time and resources and um, money and all the things that, you know, we've, I've been blessed with. Um, you know, so those are, the, those are the things I would I would like them to think about. Well, I think you're living that large. Uh, I don't doubt that that will be the case, Chris. Um, and, you know, you've shared a lot in your life. And I'm just wondering um, if you think about it, is there a top takeaway if you're, you're kind of thinking about all you shared that comes to mind? No, I think I think every time I do something like this, um, 
you know, it sort of forces you to reflect on on uh, your story a little bit more. I'm a, I'm a, I think like most probably hard driving uh, entrepreneurs, I tend to look out the front windshield so much more than I look in the rearview mirror. Um, you know, and I think it just, it, I, one of the things I appreciate about it is, is, you know, it forces you to kind of take a look in the rearview mirror and, and, and review your story yourself, not only telling it to others and, um, uh, you know, reflect on, on the, the many ways I've been blessed and the people I've, I've been blessed to work with and, you know, interact with folks like you. And, um, you know, I'm for guy, you know, where my, my faith has been a huge part of, of who I am. It just, you know, it, it causes me to pause and just reflect and be thankful for uh, the story. So thank you for helping me uh, tell it again, uh, at least pieces of it. And uh, again, it's just, it's, it's good. To, it's good for me to do that once in a while because I'm not good at doing it. So thank you. Well, I appreciate you coming out of your shell and being a little bit more uh, uh, open. And I know you like to share, but there's so much folks that um, to learn and to be, and there's a simplicity of how you think and, and your actions tied to your thinking that I think sometimes we make things more complex than they need to be. So I thank you for um, really walking your talk uh, in your gem. Uh, that awesome, awesome combination of humility uh, to know that you don't know it all, but the confidence right, to know that you can get there and the, and the grit to find a way. So I thank you. Thank you for being part of the solution, Chris. You know, I am here for you in all uh, ways. Um, and so I'll look forward to when we can uh, connect again. You take good care. Yes, ma'am. Thank you, Molly. <clears throat> uh, my thought for the week, right from the Maynard family motto, nothing's easy. And that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Amplify Chris's voice. Reflect on your top takeaways. And no, I'm cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality. Essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed, and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out sayitskillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too. 